Looking for a new high-end mascara without breaking the bank? The new L'Oreal Paris Panorama Mascara gives you a high-end lash look in a premium gold luxe packaging. It's all about panoramic volume and fully fanned out lashes. With its tapered brush, the new Panorama Mascara catches every single lash, giving you the false lash look without any of the hassle. Say goodbye to clumps and flakes, because this mascara is specially formulated to resist them all day with up to 24-hour wear. And the best part? It performs better than Lux mascaras at only a fraction of the cost. You can buy Panorama Mascara on Amazon today. So let's talk about On the Run, which I'm so delighted that this episode got nominated. It was like... Katie gave an A-. minus. I got fired. No. Did you read why? <laughs> Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Push the Envelope. I'm the AV Club's Patrick Gomez, and I am joined by our TV editor, Danette Chavez, and managing editor, Eric Adams. Thanks, guys, for being here again. Hello. Hello. Uh, so, uh, if you caught our first episode, we kind of, uh, gave a little background on what to expect from this year's, uh, very crazy 2020 Emmys. Um, and this episode is going to be about all of the comedy categories. So we are actually going to be a lot more structured and not jumping all over the place, maybe like we were last time, but, uh, which maybe will be better for you or maybe be less fun. I'm not sure. Uh, you will have to make that decision for yourself as you listen. Um, but we will be talking about the writing and directing categories, the acting categories, and of course, the series categories. Uh, we're also going to be featuring interviews with what we do in the shadows writer, Stephanie Robinson, and a Black Lady sketch show's um, Robin Thede. So definitely make sure to check out those portions of the episode as well. Um, but before we get into that, we actually got a little bit of insight into uh, what a big award show might look like. Uh, this past weekend was the VMAs, uh, hosted by Kiki Palmer and featuring tons of performances, which, you know, in some ways is a larger production than anything that the Emmys is going to probably attempt to do. Um, and it gave us a little taste of, of what that might look like. Uh, the only thing I will say is they, they found a way to make it seem as though there was a crowd, even though there wasn't. Um, they just had a bunch of like, I'm sure, crowd noise that they've recorded from previous shows. And so while people were giving speeches, they'd have like crowd noise come in uh, and and uh, like cheer at certain points. So like Lady Gaga would be like, and remember to wear a mask. And everyone would go, yay. And it was like great because it seemed like real. But then you kind of had this like moment where you, you realize the emperor has no clothes and this is all completely fake. Yeah, no, no, thank you. I do not, I do not want any uncanny valley in my award show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it was super, it was super odd, but yet at the same time, like it did make it work. Uh, so I, I don't like it, but it, but it played, I will say that because it wasn't live live, they were able to edit the like crowd noise to seem authentic so it 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 was almost like a laugh track, but but more realistic. I, I don't know. It was very odd, but I thought that they did a really good job. Um, but how, the one, how did they do the uh, acceptance speeches? So I think I th- I'm pretty sure all of it was pre-recorded, which you know I think was probably the way to go, um, which we likely won't see with the Emmys. Um, and so some of the people like walked out into this empty soundstage and accepted the award, clearly like showing up 
after they'd, you know, they'd still be wearing, some of them were still wearing what they were wearing when they performed their, their routine, uh, or their routine, what is this? Um, their, their song, um, so like the weekend, like still had this like makeup that he had uh, during his performance where he's like all beat up um, and that kind of stuff. So it was odd to think like, oh, wow, you walked out into an empty soundstage and gave the speech as though there was a crowd and then like walked back out and then he got two awards. So it's like he had to go and film it all over again. Um, so there was there was awkward moments like that. But I will say that all of them, especially being mostly singers and not actors, did a great job of pretending there was crowds, of, of doing all that stuff in a way that didn't seem inauthentic. It just made it feel more real. So I don't know. I don't know how I land on it. Because on paper, I agree with you, Eric. I don't want to see, um, I, I don't want to see like canned crowd reaction but it did kind of work. Um, so I don't know. And then Danette, I actually got an answer for you of, a, of something we brought up last week. Um, yeah. I've heard from a couple different people actually over the last few days that they did think about only sending like really great inter- like internet or like broadcast trucks to the winners. But, but ultimately, and they might change their mind again, but what I've heard from two different people actually is that ultimately they decided that that figuring out the winners ahead of time and only sending the internet to them uh, would be too obvious and they didn't want the winners to know so that, that right now... Because you'd have people camping out, right? Yeah. Like, oh, you know, I wonder why everybody is at Meryl Streep's house. Exactly. Assuming so, you know where she lives. <laughs> so apparently, um, from what I'm hearing, uh, they had that idea for a second but then realized that that just wasn't going to work. So now they're working on getting internet to everyone. So it does seem like they're going to try and go fully live. Um, which we might end wow. up with a with an RNC versus DNC situation, which uh, for better or worse, I watched all of both of them. And um, the excitement of it being live was there for the uh, DNC uh, and the polishedness, if you want to use that word at all, um, for the RNC was definitely there because most of it wasn't live. Um, so it'll, it'll be interesting to see how, how it plays out, but, uh, but at least we're starting to get a few answers on what, on what the Emmys might be looking like. I wanted to give a quick plug to that, uh, article that was in the Hollywood Reporter last week that kind of laid out, uh, what the Emmy producers are thinking about and how they're, uh, envisioning the show playing out, which has just like some incredible behind the scenes information from the number of camera crews that they're uh, thinking of sending out, which I believe is upward of 140. And Mm. because, uh, you know, even though the ceremony takes place in Los Angeles and the hub of film and television production in the United States is in Hollywood, not everybody lives in the greater Los Angeles area. So some of those camera crews uh, will be international and continental. Uh, and the, the the other detail that I got a, a big kick out of is that apparently the producers asked the accountants, who I believe are Price Waterhouse Cooper, uh, if they could Sterling get... Cooper, Sterling Cooper, no, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it says Sterling Cooper and partners, <laughs> Price maybe sometimes, uh-huh. <laughs> but they asked if they could uh, get the winners ahead of time to kind of like help ease the the production and the accountants shut that down 100 percent uh there there Hmm. is there there will be no advance notice uh (laughs) under the accountant's watch which is like kind of crazy because it's like they 
they kind of are just there because they asked them to be there, but then they suddenly become the most powerful person in the room. It's an interesting dynamic there. Or, you know, the biggest target in the room when uh, Faye Dunaway reads the wrong (laughs) title off of an envelope. I, I just, I don't know how I would have been able to show up to work the next day. But enough about the Oscars, we're talking about the Emmys. And specifically... Uh, This week, we are talking about the comedy categories, uh, which I think we're all in agreement that these are a little more interesting than the the drama nominees. Uh, Wouldn't wouldn't you say so, Danette? Yeah, I I think, um, and I'll get to the big chip on my shoulder, the Pamela Adlin-sized chip on my shoulder uh, shortly. But um, yeah, this this batch is definitely more interesting. Nothing against the dramas, um, but I, I... yeah, this is a much more exciting race. There's more variety. There's more uh, new and exciting entrance into this field. Uh, you know, there will, of course, always be rubber-stamped nominees. It's always going to be the Emmys. There's always going to be somebody who's sneaking through because they've always been there. But I think that it's a, it's an interesting field, even as much as it feels like maybe all of it's going to wind up going to Mrs. Maisel again. (laughs) You know, we mentioned this a little bit last week, but I think there could be a lot of really either nice, not even surprises. I think we could just be pleased uh, with the the way that things might go on the 20th. I think it's going to be business as usual. I think that the nominees were, I mean, like as interesting as some of the developments are here and as excited as I am about some of the limited series stuff, um, and TV movie, uh, I, I, I think we're going to, I think we're going to see a lot of the same people, uh, feign or display real surprise. I, Disney, it is going to be my favorite thing on Emmys night. Just like thinking of you every time someone makes an acceptance speech and you, you're going to be analyzing whether or not they knew it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna get. I'm gonna have to do some uh, reading up on body language, right? <laughs> That's how we're gonna tell who the truly worthy actors are. True. All right, all right. So let's break it down. How this is gonna work? Again, we're gonna start off with writing, then directing, then the acting categories, and then series categories. Uh, and of course, I mentioned our fantastic interviews that you're gonna hear as well. Um, but Eric, why don't you kick us off with writing? Yeah, we uh, we begin here in the writing category uh, with. I think one of my most pleasant surprises of this set of nominees where three episodes of What We Do in the Shadows uh, got nominated. Uh, those episodes being Collaboration, uh, which was written by Sam Johnson and Chris Marcel. Uh, I hope I'm getting that name correct. I'll say yes. Uh, <laughs> Ghosts, which was written by Paul Sims. Uh, and then On the Run, a.k.a. the one with Jackie Daytona, uh, which was <laughs> written by Stephanie Robinson, uh, who we'll hear from in a little bit. Uh, the other nominees in this category are uh, The Good Places Whenever You're Ready, which is the series finale written by creator Michael Schur. Uh, the Pilot of The Great, which was written by Tony McNamara. And then a couple of Schitt's Creek episodes, uh, Happy Ending, which was the finale, and uh, the Presidential Suite. And uh, Happy Ending was written by uh, Daniel Levy, and uh, the Presidential Suite was written by uh, David West Reed. So we we lay the nominees out here on the table. Uh, who do you like? What 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 script are y'all pulling for 
Uh, we'll start with you, Jeanette. Um, I really liked the the great pilot. Uh, I think it's um, it bums me out that uh, it wasn't that the show wasn't recognized in any of the acting uh, categories because uh, Elle Fanning and Nicholas Holt are really great here. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> They're exceptional. Um, yeah, the the pilot for the great is really a smart and funny introduction for the show that there, there's a real delicate balance going on between, you know, the drama, because obviously, if you know anything about history, about Russian history, uh, you know what's coming. You know that this is about Catherine's ascension and her basically deposing Peter, who is a different Peter in the show because Tony McNamara is playing very fast and loose with Russian history. Um, but, you know, given the whole Russian interference in elections thing, maybe they deserve it. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think it's, uh, I, I don't know that it's necessarily better than Jackie Daytona. Um, but, uh, it, when I look at this batch of categories, um, that, that, that show really, that, that was one of the shows that really spoke to me this year. And what about you, Patrick? Well, you know, I, I'm a huge Schitt's Creek fan, and I think that when you're writing an ending, and actually this goes, a, I was a huge Good Place fan as well. So, you know, when you're writing an ending, I think, and, and nailing that ending c- can be so difficult. Um, so I think that, uh, that you know, I, my my kudos go mostly to um, Mike Schur and Dan, Dan Levy's uh, writings for those finales. So those are certainly the ones I'm rooting for the most here. Um I think out of the two, it's so hard because I think what The Good Place did was so um, groundbreaking and original and uh, in many ways perhaps more difficult. Um, But Schitt's Creek in its own way was very pioneering and, and, you know, found a tone that was very unique um, and told and in its own way it's it's it was telling a story that we have kind of seen before and so for that to feel new and interesting and different um was also i think um worthy of recognition i think we also get into at that point a kind of debate on is it a good or a bad thing that things got not that multiple episodes got nominated from a single series because does it hurt schitt's creek and does it hurt what we do in the shadows that fans of those shows might split votes i mean we see this happen uh, in acting categories, even you know where where there's two there's two actors from the same show, and and do they end up canceling each other out, and someone else wins just because of that? Um, I, I think all of these are all of these nominees are very deserving. I think they're fantastic episodes that they chose for everyone. Um, but if I had to go with one, I'd say the presidential suite is fantastic. It's the uh, spoiler alert if you have not watched the final season. Skip forward about five ten seconds. Um, is the is the episode where Ted and Alexis break up? Ted shows up, and that scene is so like heartbreaking and beautifully shot, and and uh, all of that. But again, like I, I want to focus on comedy. If I'm looking at a comedy category, if I was if I was a member of the Academy and voting, like I'm going to vote for the one that made me laugh, not the one that was like even perhaps the best TV, just because like. I, I want to judge it on the same scale that I'm judging most of the other stuff, which was their intent was to be funny and touching. And you can be all of that at once. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I think I'm leaning towards Schitt's Creek, Schitt's Creek's Denny. But what do you guys think about the fact of multiple nominees and does that hurt them or help them? I mean, I think if uh, if anything, maybe 
what we do in the shadows has the better stands the better chance because like uh splitting three ways means that maybe one can emerge uh victorious uh but yeah it is it, it is an interesting quandary there uh and uh I have I have nothing more to say on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know you're a super fan, Eric, of what we do in the shadows. I mean, do you have an opinion on which one of those that you feel like might be the one to to elevate itself there? I I hope it's on the run. I like you could tell the way that that episode resonated so quickly uh, across social media the day after it aired. Uh, Katie brings this up in her interview with Stephanie, so I won't step on that. But, you know, like, I was one of many people who woke up that morning with the phrase Jackie Daytona, regular human bartender, (laughs) just lodged deep in the recesses of my brain. And I love that that show has given itself the opportunity to play with so much monster movie lore that, like... It, this is this is something that Katie and Stephanie discussed as well, but that they they have a lot of discussions in that writers' room about the rules that dictate the show, and you know how much uh, how much they're they're going to allow that to influence how the show is written and the comedy that comes out of the show, and I just think it's such an interesting and fun world to play with, and it gives them so many different joke telling opportunities. Uh, it's a very it's a very special effects driven show, but on the run is an episode that like begins with this big special effects showcase, and then the bulk of it, uh, which finds Matt Barry's Laszlo uh, hiding out from a rival vampire who's played by Luke Skywalker himself, Mark Hamill, uh, and he's he has to spend most of the episode. Uh, hiding the fact he's a vampire and the way that that kind of comes out is is very funny all of the things that the writers found about the regular human world that would enchant or uh you know cause a vampire to fix fixate upon are are very funny there's it's just a really well written well told one-off that, you know, you don't necessarily have to know everything about what we do in the shadows to enjoy that episode. And maybe that benefits that episode in particular uh, through voting, just because you can't count on a large chunk of the Television Academy to have watched the entirety of any of the shows that they're voting on. Well, I've talked enough about this episode, and I'm just some schmo who watched (laughs) it on his couch uh, in the middle of coronavirus lockdown. So, so is most actually, of the academy, though. So don't don't discount yourself. <laughs> but we got a chance to speak with the the writer of the episode, Stephanie Robinson, uh, a previous Emmy nominee for Atlanta, and now nominated for this script. Uh, our own senior writer, Katie Reif, spoke with Stephanie. So let's hear a little bit of that interview. So let's talk about On the Run, which I'm so delighted that this episode got nominated. It was like... Katie gave an A-. minus. I got fired. Oh, so, <laughs> did you read why? I'm going to ask because you Because Lazo didn't sing? I wanted to oh. know why did he sing? 
There was a whole episode of him singing that we were going to save it for, Katie. We didn't. We of course we talked about it, but we're like, you know what? You got a whole episode, so everyone who really wants to hear him sing, they're going to have a whole. And you it. were building suspense, um, is what you're saying. Yes, exactly. It was it's too obvious of a choice to have him sing there, Katie. Mm, okay. We had to. We had to, like, we had to. The anticipation of it. We needed the audience to be shivering with it. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> nice Rocky Horror quote, by the way. There you go. So yeah, so this episode, I honestly, the the um the regular human bartender thing, it was like an instant classic. I noticed people changing their Twitter <laughs> handle to it like the day after the episode came out. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, regular human bartender. Um, very... What's the genesis? <laughs> Uh, there was there the genesis was just writing it. I okay. think at that at that point <laughs> I think at that point, um the joke being that both of these vampires are desperately trying to convince the others that they're a human. Okay. Um, so <laughs> the the genesis of it being how overtly ridiculous can I make this seem made sense to just like put start putting human in front of words that you wouldn't be human in front. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Were there any other versions, you know? Like there were actually. Okay. No, it was oh yeah, regular human bartender was that was one and done. That was one okay. of those ones where both me, Yana the director, and Matt Berry all agreed was the funniest thing and we went with it. Okay, cool. <laughs> There's so many. Okay, that kind of makes sense. So are you saying that the sort of like initial, was that just the idea between regular human bartender or just like the humor of the episode in general, the idea of vampires trying to convince each other that they're human because like I think there's I also think both. I see it. Yeah. yeah, because there's um, also the big I mean, mouth Billy Bass, big mouth Billy Bass yeah. thing. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I think that it's just like, Exactly as you said, that line in particular is probably a good way to describe the rest of the episode or the attitude I took for the rest of the episode, which is, you mm-hmm. know, um, you know, the, the, the blatant ridiculousness of someone who is so clearly a vampire, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so seamlessly fitting into a situation where, I mean, where nobody, nobody's the wiser. Mm-hmm. Um, that atti- that attitude was sort of like the compass for the entire episode. Um, but and that's what I mean. I don't know. That's what made it feel funny to us. And the idea of I mean, in the writers' room when we were initially discussing this, this idea of like Laszlo so easily tricking everyone. <laughs> and yeah. so I mean, I mean, there was talk about too. We we were talking about like, well, how long has he been in this town? And we were talking, like, has it been a year? Has it been, like, 12 years? Like, what's, you know, mm-hmm. uh, has he really had to work hard to cement himself in there? But I mean, to me, the funnier thing was, like, no, just, like, make it the shortest amount of time. And this idea that he just sort of shows up and within, like, a week or a week and a half, everyone's like, yeah, this is the, the heart and soul of this town, this guy. We totally <laughs> accept that he's a regular human being. Um, just really made me and the other writers laugh. Is that sort? Is that due to his sort of um, mind powers as a vampire, or is that just because of you know, or is that more of a human thing? It's his disguise, man. 
It's the toothpick and jeans. That's it. He didn't have to use any hypnosis. It was such a convincing disguise. And, of course, if you want to uh, get the full interview, you can read it uh, at avclub.com. Shameless plug. (laughs) But now let's talk about directing. The nominees in uh, Best Directing for a Comedy Series uh, are Matt Shackman for The Great Pilot, Amy Sherman Palladino for It's Comedy or Cabbage from The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Daniel Palladino for Marvelous Radio from The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Gail Mancuso for Modern Family Finale Part 2, Rami Youssef for Mia Khalifa.mov, uh, Andrew Cividino and Daniel Levy for Schitt's Creek's Happy Ending, and uh, the master, James Burroughs, for We Love Lucy from Will and Grace. Uh, I can't believe I said Daniel Levy the first time around, as if I haven't been saying, I love Eugene Levy for my entire life. I was going to say something and I let it go, but uh, but you you found it yourself. So. We, all, we, all, uh, we all get to see reflections of ourselves in the microphone, don't we? <laughs> what are y'all thinking in terms of uh, who's who's got the most excitement around them actually going into uh, Emmy night? Uh, Danette, how do you read that one? Um... I think Robbie Youssef has a lot of momentum right now. Um, You know, like he's just like such a cool, charming guy. And I think, you know, know, knowing him as a personality, right, um, might influence uh, voters, right? Because like, especially if they didn't happen to check out something else, it's like, oh, I do like that Rami guy. And, you know, he's his name is on the show. Um, So, uh, but part of me thinks it's just going to end up going, I mean, I, I, again, I, I've kind of resigned myself to these things, you know, only allowing for so much innovation every year. Um, and I, I just, part of me just thinks that they're going, the television Academy is going to kind of coast on, um, but you know, the, the, the category, the nominees were, weren't really even that inclusive, but anyway, um, I think it's going to go to one of the the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. I think people are just so sick of being indoors that they will celebrate uh, even a fake trip. <laughs> if I can piggyback off your Rami point real quick, I think that's also like this is an episode that has a lot of flash to it. Uh, it's got it's got a great kind of surreal vibe uh, as as Rami uh, travels to try to sort of get a, a donation back for the. Uh, the Muslim community center that's sort of at the center of this season. And it's, it's, it's kind of like the show's answer to Atlanta's uh, Teddy Perkins. And it's, it's a really interesting mix of tones uh, and types of humor that uh, I think really uh, caught my attention, at least as I was watching that second season. Yeah. I mean, I I think we're all kind of in agreement here. I think that Rami certainly uh, could take it. I think it also could be, uh, a somewhat of a consolation prize. We can, I mean, we'll talk about actor in a little bit, but um, I think some people could be like, well, I'm going to vote somewhere else for actor. So like, let me, let me vote in this direction for, for director. Uh, I, I certainly think he has a shot. I think out of the Paladinos, Amy would take it over Dan just because of the episodes themselves. It's comedy or cabbage is the one that ends 
um, with uh, her kind of night out uh, on a somewhat date, uh, uh, and it was that was such so beautifully shot. They go to a they go to like a, a Cuban music club. It, it that was very beautifully shot, so I could see that being it. But it also could go to James Burroughs again for the reasons that we've mentioned before. You know, he's so he's so prolific and beloved by the industry. Uh, I could see people just even seeing that name and being like, sure, why not? Um, so I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> well, you mentioned the uh, acting categories, Patrick. Do you want to? Uh, carry us uh, through those? Yeah, sure. Um, so we're going to kick the acting ones off with supporting actor in a comedy series. Uh, in that one, the nominees are Andre Brower for Brooklyn Nine-Nine, William Jackson Harper for The Good Place, Alan Arkin for The Kaminsky Method, Sterling K. Brown for The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Tony Shalhoub also for The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Mahershala Ali for Rami, uh, Keenan Thompson for Saturday Night Live, and Dan Levy for Schitt's Creek. Uh, it would be noted that Keenan actually got that not for a very nice uh, flashy studio episode, but for the um, second at home episode that they filmed. Uh, so that is our uh, first official um, quarantine episode nomination. Appropriate for the quarantine Emmys. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, Eric, uh, what are your initial thoughts when looking at this at this list? Uh, my my initial thoughts are that it is uh, it's a lot of performances that I really love. Uh, you know, Andre Brower has been doing so much incredible work on Brooklyn Nine Nine uh, across seven seasons now, and you know that. That show, like, it's a it's a dicey cultural moment to discuss the cop comedy. But, you know, I think Brooklyn Nine-Nine has been operating at this baseline of quality for almost its entire run, but doesn't get enough credit for being this, like, super solid, reliable workplace sitcom. And a lot of that has to do with Andre Brower's presence as uh, as Captain Raymond Holt, this this fantastic centering force that also challenges Brower to be as funny as possible while being as dry and unemotional as possible. I feel like he's somebody who you know could could take it just for a, a culmination of the work that he's been doing on that show. Uh, perhaps the same with uh, William Jackson Harper as Cheedy on The Good Place. Uh, he submitted the finale, which is, you know, an incredibly tear-jerking performance as uh, I, I, I will now drop a spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't caught up with The Good Place. But uh, that entire finale is about the the humans preparing to, you know, kind of step out of the afterlife and on into the next whatever plane of existence. And Jackson Harper and Kristen Bell go off on this fantastical, international, universal kind of ending to the story between Chidi and Eleanor at the end of a season where Harper had to play a, a Chidi who didn't have the, the history of this character that we had seen for three prior seasons. And so that's a really interesting challenge to, to watch an actor take on, particularly as a show is is wrapping up. But, you know, I think a, a lot of a lot of people that I love in this category, uh, it feels very tough to want to pick a favorite out of this. But also, like, Mahershala Ali is just incredible in this second season of Rami. I think I'm just going to keep on saying that over and over about that 
that show in its second season. But uh, he's he's kind of a case where you can see dramatic and comedic uh, elements of of the performance kind of in competition with one another uh, throughout the throughout the season. There is a moment in the finale of that second season where uh, he turns on the dramatic chops to such a startling uh, degree that it really just like it's it's really some of the best acting regardless of genre that I feel like I saw uh, on television this well, year. Well, that is quite an endorsement. Uh, so I, I think we know who, who we might be talking about later when we say who we think frontrunners might be. Uh, but Danette, what are your thoughts before we get to that? Um, I mean, we can probably start ta- start the frontrunner discussion right now because I, I am also uh, stumping for Mahershala Ali in this category. Um, I think he really helps this... The the second season of Rami, I think, walks an even finer line than the first because it is, you know, Rami is just much more willing. Rami Youssef, sorry, uh, you know, as a writer, director, creator of the show, um, he's much more willing to let his lead character be unlikable, you know, like there. And the second season, um, you know, the the, the kind of relate. The, the first season was, you know, about like, in part, like how a like a Muslim millennial or millennial Muslim um, dates, right? Like how somebody can, you know, uh, have strong ties to their faith and their community uh, and still, you know, be out, you know, in the world of Tinder. And the second season, you know, there there is also kind of a relationship, but it's Rami wanting a mentor. He, you know, he looks to the Sheikh for this. And in the episode that was submitted, uh, I think it's Little Omar. There's, you know, th- there there's a breakup going on, right? Like, you know, the, it's the Sheikh telling Rami, you know, he he can't be uh, that guide for him. And um, I, I think the the it works because Mahershala is, you know, capable of being this very like imposing presence, you know, like he's, he's just like a big guy. He's tall, especially compared to Rami, but, you know, more than anything, he just gives off so much warmth in the second season. And, you know, you can't help but look at him whenever he's on screen. Um, So yeah, I think we can commence with the front runner talk right now because that is also my pick. It's such an open-hearted show and willing to give its perspective to practically every character in the ensemble that I I, mm. I am kind of a little disappointed. Except for that, the women. Like, <laughs> oh, really? You think so? Sorry. Yes. And I'm not the only person who thinks so. No, that's, so. that's fair. Not, not to do I was, it. I was just going to say, like, I, I am kind of bummed that, like, Haya Mabas wasn't uh, singled out for for her work in mm. either season so far, but uh, you know, I I admit that I probably have some blind sides and some biases there. So, I mean, I like we're we're all interpreting these things differently. I think it's I I, I think part of the reason that you can that I could feel disappointed in the show, and you know, even our reviewer Saloni Gajar. Um, you know, it's like when you see that level of empathy extended to like almost every male character and then it's like oh, you kind of get like the one episode from the woman's point of view and a lot of that stuff um, It felt kind of felt fairly rote. But anyway, yeah, I um, 
maybe season three uh, is going to be, you know. Let's uh, hope for it. Let's hope for it. Because I do agree. I think Mahershala is yes. fantastic. I mean, fantastic in anything that he does, but but here as well. Um, I, I honestly, I feel like it's going to be Dan Levy's just because, again, it's similar to um, the Rami directing, kind of how it could go uh, go to him in that category as kind of like a thank you for everything he does on that show. You know, Dan wrote and directed and, uh, you know, he technically is co-creator, but basically created the show on his own. Uh, I think I I think that this could be like a thank you to him and and that it certainly could go in his in his way. And, uh, you know, that characters is all the characters actually on Shits Creek are are really hard characters to like thread the needle, um, uh, you know, in creating because they're all over the top in one way or another and certainly um with uh dan levy's david uh it, it's i yeah i think it could be i think it could go his direction just because just because of everything that he's involved with um and yet he still like creates this very like three-dimensional and, and nuanced character so i actually think i actually think it could be him that takes it um but let's move on to the supporting actress in a comedy series so those nominees are betty gilpin for glow darcy carden for the good place uh yvonne orgy for insecure alex borstein for the marvelous mrs mazel Marin hinkle for the marvelous mrs mazel kate mckinnon for saturday night live cecily strong for saturday night live and annie murphy for schitt's creek uh danette let's start off with you with this one um what are your overall observations or comments about these uh lovely supporting actresses um i mean i we were talking about vote splitting earlier uh I think it's going to be interesting to see Alex Borstein up against her castmate, Marin Hinkle, especially considering Alex has back-to-back wins, right? Yes. She won the last two years consecutively. Um, That could end up creating some room for um, somebody like Darcy Carden, who we uh, spoke with and who you guys all heard uh, in the pilot episode do we call it a pilot? Is that what it's called? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is a, it's a, we're we're talking about TV in these. We can call it a pilot. That's great. <laughs> we'll call it our pilot. Um, you know, I I think she she had a fantastic uh, run on The Good Place, and that feels like uh, a very overdue nomination. Um, but my Betty Gilpin, I think, is just so one. I mean, her little like her acceptance speech for the nomination was fantastic. I mean, she's just so funny in real life too. Um, But in that third season of Glow, I mean, yes, it's, you know, as much about uh, Alison, Alison Brie is still very much the lead, but, um, you know, as Liberty Bell, you know, she's just, she's juggling, you know, like raising a kid in Vegas, which is, you know, in and of itself, I think um, a great storyline, but, you know, she's also just, uh, she shows how enterprising she is uh, throughout, and she's you know she stages this kind of like mm, I guess it, I guess it would be a hostile takeover, especially for something you know, that was such a, a hot phrase in the eighties. But you know she basically pulls off this like corporate takeover. Um, you know, she wipes the floor with Toby Huss. I mean, you know, what else do you want from a nominee? <laughs> Fair. I mean, she's she is as much the the lead of that show at this point. It is kind of uh, wild to see her in the supporting category. It's, it's the uh, Catherine Zeta Jones Chicago situation. <laughs> yes, I mean, uh, but then there's the question of whether or not she could 
hold on uh, in the uh, against a field of of other lead performers. So it's just nice to see the acknowledgement of that performance because it is so strong and so funny. And I feel like Glow in general just tends to get overlooked uh, to a dispiriting degree. So I'm glad to see her hanging in there at least. Uh, you know, my my enthusiasms and my hopes this time around uh, are are behind Darcy Carden, who uh, I spoke to, as uh, Danette alluded to. Uh, you know, that role of Janet is so multifaceted and demands so much uh, it, within an episodic context and within kind of the wider series context of The Good Place. Uh, and it's also just like such such a perfect mechanism for joke delivery. And Darcy Carden found something so strange and so interesting in the way that she sort of embodied these these digital assistants that we we have allowed to enter into our lives and and give us the answers and the services that we demand whenever we ask them uh, through our phones, and she made that sort of presence human, and that was kind of part of the whole journey of that character was you know she is not a person and she is not a robot but she is something that gained this wider understanding of existence and Darcy's performance of it still managed to be very accessible and very funny and imperfect in all of these ways to the point where the character could fall in love with the dumbest person in the afterlife uh it's it, it's just such a a fantastic performance that I would really like to see uh, rewarded at the end of its run. It would be such a marvelous way to acknowledge what Darcy Carden has done on that show, as much as I would also like to see Annie Murphy uh, honored for similar reasons on Schitt's Creek. Yeah, I think that those are the two that that I'm personally rooting for as well. Uh, you know, I think that Annie Murphy is, is kind of uh, always seen as like the fourth person on that show. Um, but in many ways, I think she carries it. If that character, if you didn't get that character right, the rest of it doesn't fall into place. Um, every, all three, you know, Dan and Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara could be fantastic. But if you had, if you had Alexis not, not uh, grounded in reality, despite being Alexis, uh in many ways, she ended up having the 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 major transformation arc on that show. um and and I think uh, it's fantastic to see her nominated. I was worried that all other three of them would get nominated and not her. so i'm I'm rooting for her. But there's fantastic people here across the board, I think, of uh, our colleague uh, Shannon Miller's interview with Yvonne and her work on insecure. She had a fantastic season. I also think it's really cool. i I don't know if I would have nominated, but I think it's kind of cool that Cecily Strong started off on on SNL as kind of, at least anecdotally amongst my friends, was seen as a weaker link on the show, but she really has turned into a mainstay that is that is fairly solid when you see her pop up in a in any sketch. Uh, so I'm glad that she's there, and I'm also really happy that Maren Hinkle's there. I was really disappointed she wasn't nominated for the first season of Maisel. I thought that she was a really underrated um, addition to the cast there, and I know she didn't have as much to do that first season, um, but but, uh, you know, these past two seasons, I, I'm, I'm glad that they've honored her as well. 
and I, I have to say, you know, get, you know, pushing towards towards what we think the the frontrunners are. I, I know that you have like PTSD from all the marvelous Mrs. Maisel appreciation in the past, and that. But I, I don't, I don't think it's it's Alex Borstein's year anymore. I think it's going to go to to uh, to Darcy or Annie. I, I really do. I mean, I we can only hope that something. <laughs> You know, that that something happens. And I, I like this is nothing against Alex Borstein or Marin Hinkle. You know, they're they're both great actresses. Um, I just you know, the the same way that uh people are rewatching things and, you know, seeking out comfort food, I think we're gonna see something similar to that yeah, in think- the nominations. Like you know, just 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 seeking out those. Yeah, old well, and favorites. I think that that's another reason that Annie Murphy might have a good shot is is because so many people did binge that leading up to the final season. So it's almost as though, whereas most of these other shows, they probably were watching more in real time. And so we're really only looking at the most recent work. You really get an idea of Alexis's character arc for the whole series, because I I bet you a lot of people watched within the last calendar year, watched almost the entire season or series of Schitt's Creek. So that could help her there. Um, so let's move on to lead actor in a comedy series. Uh, there, the nominees are Anthony Anderson for Blackish, Don Cheadle for Black Monday, Ted Danson for The Good Place, Michael Douglas for The Kaminsky Method, Eugene Levy for Schitt's Creek, and Rami Youssef for Rami. Uh, let's uh, just continue to flip flop. Let's start with you, Eric. What's what are what are your thoughts here? Well, I feel like uh, if you know, if we're just talking about how the voters watch things. Uh, if anybody has a chance to win based on the episode that they submitted, I think Don Cheadle stands a pretty good chance for this episode of Black Monday, Who Are You Supposed to Be?, uh, which is a bottle episode set in the offices uh, of the Wall Street firm that uh, Mo Monroe runs on the show. Uh, and it's like, it, it's just this really neat encapsulation of that second season of that show and uh, the arc that Cheadle's acting out where he's kind of informing on his colleagues uh, about their role in the uh, financial meltdown that was precipitated in the first season. Uh, All the while, all of the characters are dressed up in uh, 80s period Halloween costumes. Uh, There's a dance-off between Don Cheadle and Dulé Hill, uh, who are each dressed in dueling versions of Prince Akeem from uh, Coming to America. Uh, it's just it's uh, I, I feel like if if you were to only watch if you were only to judge based on the episodes that were submitted, uh, that would be one where it's like, oh, this guy's doing this guy's doing everything like he's got he, he's he's doing some great internal acting. He's got a bunch of big jokes. Uh, it's a very uh, in, uh, visually striking episode, like uh, it, maybe not my choice out of this field, but kind of seems like the one. Uh, that could kind of surprise people, maybe. I have to say, Eric, I would not have listed him among like people that I would think would be front runners. But if people listen to this before they vote, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> I, I think it could go. It could have gone in a different direction um, because you did a fantastic job of selling me on it, uh, and I watched it. I thought I thought it was great, but you certainly elevated him among my my list of contenders. <laughs> Well, I think he's also got that thing that, like, the the insecurity complex that the Emmys has been slowly getting over of, like, oh, my gosh, it's a movie star on television. 
uh, which kind of carried him through all of his nominations for House of Lies, which is a much less interesting show than than Black Monday. Uh, yeah, but if you look, but, I mean, if you look at in terms of uh, obviously some of them started on TV and then moved to movies. But I mean, you've got Don, you've got Ted Danson, you've got Michael Douglas. I mean, you could even include Eugene Levy on that category of people that like are known for movies. Uh, so, you know, he's by no means alone in that here. If, if you're gonna award Eugene Levy for a season of Schitt's Creek, I think this is the one because they found a way, you know, he had to play the straight man so much uh, on this series. Um, and I don't think that that is often valued when people are voting or nominating for the Emmys. And this season, they found ways to give him moments to show us the Eugene Levy we know from all the Christopher Guest movies and, and all his other like super heightened comedic work. Um, so I'm excited that that, that was recognized. Um, Anthony Anderson, you know, I think something that could possibly help him and I'm sure was part of the strategy here was uh, they ended up releasing that um, unaired episode uh, from a few seasons ago that didn't air uh, after it had already been completed, um, which was very touching. And, and, you know, it was timely then talking about how to raise Black children in in this time in America and and what that means in terms of of wanting to protect them and what you need to teach them. And and, uh, it was a heartbreaking episode to watch. And it was just, if not more timely, now than it was when it was created. And I think that, you know, that reminds us of what that show does uh, on a weekly basis. Uh, so that probably helped him a, a little bit there. Uh, but Danette, what are, what are your thoughts? Well, the episode that Anthony Anderson actually submitted um, was the one uh, where basically he kind of blows up the extended family dynamic because he confronts his parents who have been, you know, kind of, you know, who, who are kind of who seem to be on the verge of reuniting. Um, and, you know, Dre wants better for his mom. Um, and, you know, that, that ends up changing, um, the, you know, the, the extended family dynamic because she then wants to move out. And, you know, it, it's funny because, you know, we've been talking so much about the blur between, uh, comedy and drama. And I feel like both Anthony Anderson and Rami Youssef, uh, nominate or you know they they submitted episodes that are more on the dramatic end and i you know like despite being you know a family sitcom blackish has always been you know uh inclined to like tackle weighty subject matter but i think both anthony and rami submitted episodes that you know yeah that are more on the dramatic end and rom for me rami's submission was the most interesting um because it's very warts and all uh, it's the episode where we find out that, like, through the flashback, we find out that, like, he uh, he broke Amani... Well, spoiler. <laughs> he broke uh, Amani's heart. Um, and, like, it very... You know, like, this very easily could work against him, right? Like, especially if, if they're only just now catching up with the show. They could be like oh, no, well, I don't like this guy at all. <laughs> He's kind of a jerk. But I actually think that that's great. I, I, I think it's great that, you know, again, the second season um, is willing to, you know, consider that, you know, we are maybe following along with someone this whole time. You know, we've been watching uh, a story unfold about somebody who kind of sucks. And, uh, I yeah, I think that this is a very exciting pick uh, for this particular category. So if uh, we discussed kind of our thoughts, but if you had to just consider buzz, like who do you, who do you feel like is getting the most buzz right now uh, leading into the, 
into the end of the voting. Um, I mean, you make a great point about the boost that Anthony Anderson is, is likely to get from uh, the release of Please, Baby, Please. Um, because, yeah, I mean, that, that was a huge episode. And it's, you know, it's none of the other uh, nominees had like any new episodes, you know, uh, released after the nominee, you know, after the, the eligibility guidelines or, you know, deadline closed. Right. So like he got, you know, I, I do feel like he, uh, he, he's going to get a boost from that, but, um, you know, it's also just kind of hard to deny, uh, Ted Danson and Eugene Levy doing great work in those final seasons. And also just the fact that the Academy might want to send them off in style. Yeah, I have to agree. I think that I think that those are probably the frontrunners. Although, like I said, Eric, now you've made me, you've convinced me that people may be rooting for Don. So I, I don't know. This one's tough. <laughs> well, now I'm regretting that we got all the way through this conversation with only just that uh, fleeting mention of Ted Danson, who uh, was so wonderful on The Good Place throughout its entire run. I, I keep on saying that about all of these people whose shows ended. I'm missing my television friends, I think, is the problem that I'm having here. Um, I, you know, I think if Ted Danson were to have won for that particular performance, the, the year when he was kind of holding it together as both good and evil Michael, the, the second season of the show would have been when to, to give him the Emmy. But, uh, you know, once, once again, fantastic field. Uh, the, the question that I have for you now, Patrick, is, uh, you know, is there anything really slowing, potentially slowing the Schitt's Creek momentum? I kind of feel like this could be the year where it steamrolls through all of these categories. Yeah, I mean, I I agree. And I think that there, I think that there's just there's a lot. It's a feel good series in a time that people want to feel good. Um, it's it's a series, like I mentioned, that people are probably actually watched the entire thing um, within the last, uh, if not calendar year, at least 12 months. Um, you know, so, uh, for better or worse, uh, people didn't find it until uh, it was leading into its final season. So I think that really helps it because, you know, like I said, they're going to be looking at all of these um, actors' uh, entire work on that series rather than just a season where it can kind of get muddled, like you said, with like Ted being like, oh, I liked him that one season, but that, you know, you're not comparing him all as much because it all blends together. Um, and that may or may not be fair, but I love the show, so I'll take it. Um, so yeah, I, 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 I do think that they could, you could see a clean sweep. I know, um, you know, to give a shout out to, a, uh, to Gold Derby, I know they ran a story recently saying that it's the first time, uh, in like forever, uh, they have the, at that point, obviously it changed all the time. At that point they had Dan, Eugene, um, and Catherine all, uh, being the front runners for their categories. And it would be the first time that a comedy has had three acting wins for a series, uh, in like forever. Um, so I think it could happen. Um, but speaking of Catherine, let's talk about lead actress in a comedy series, uh, in which Catherine O'Hara is nominated for Schitt's Creek. We have Christina Applegate for Dead to Me, along with Linda Cardellini for Dead to Me, Rachel Brosnahan for The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Issa Rae for Insecure, and Tracy Ellis Ross for Blackish. Uh, you know, super strong. I, I, the, the the lead actress category is is to me always a super competitive one, but this one in particular, I think they've got some fantastic choices. Um, Danette, what were your initial thoughts when you saw when you saw this list come out? Um, I, th I mentioned this a bit up top, um, but you know it's, it's good to see Lin Linda Cardellini get the same recognition for Dead to Me as Christina Applegate. 
Um, not a huge fan of the show, again. <laughs> um, th this isn't to knock Liz Feldman or anything. I just, for me, the show as a whole doesn't work, but uh, they, they put into, uh, Applegate and Cardellini really put into great performances. Uh, I actually think that uh, Linda Cardellini's role of Judy is a, uh, is more difficult to pull off because she has to be kind of like, you know, she, she lends more of the uh, comic relief to the show, uh, which can be terrifying. It can be intimidating to do something like that in opposite Christina Applegate, who is just like this, you know, tower of like fury and grief uh, for much of the uh, show's run so far. Um I'm most excited about Issa Rae's nomination, though. I think the fourth season of Insecure is its best, and I think she is at her best. Um, as one of the writers of the show, you know, she she really... Uh, there, there are all these, like, interesting uh, touches uh, in her character uh, this season that show her progression. You know, she's not... She's not uh, amping herself up in front of the mirror anymore. She's not, you know, doing like the rap, like, you know, pep talk anymore. Um, we got to see her branch out into different like genres too, um, you know, where she, uh, it was a bit more dramatic. Um, she, it, like, it, it, we easily could have found ourselves rooting just for her character. Um, but she, in the whole like Molly Issa breakup, but um, she leaves just enough room for her character to be flawed um, so that we can kind of see things from Molly's point of view. And so it's this it's a very generous performance, you know, like she is thinking about everybody in her ensemble. And that for me is just the, the most impressive of the bunch. I, I have to agree. I think in terms of what Issa and and Issa's character are balancing, uh, like there's there's almost nothing that compares to it here on on the list in terms of just everything that goes into into creating um that character and who's behind it um i do i do hope uh you know obviously they ask everyone to watch everything but i think that out of all of these uh insecure could suffer from just people not watching the whole series and maybe just watching the nominated episodes uh so i think that that could be to her unfortunate disadvantage because she's so deserving um, and but looking at the rest of the categories, it's really interesting. Or the, sorry, the rest of the nominees, it's really interesting because you have characters like Rachel Brosnahan and Catherine O'Hara, who just you have to admire on a technical level for being able to get through their shows, and um, you know, for both of the, the way that their characters speak. I mean, you know, to get through a Palladino script, a Sherman Palladino script, is, is just a feat in itself. Um, and then for Catherine uh, to uh, just put that character on every day and and make it real is just incredible and you compare that to to somebody like Tracy Ellis Ross who has kind of the Eugene Levy role on her show of like you know grounding grounding the the crazy uh balloons flying everywhere basically uh, it's it's kind of hard to even compare a lot of these uh Eric what are you, what are your thoughts I I have to wonder how uh the Tracy Ellis Ross Anthony Anderson nominations uh, might turn out to be complementary in the voters' minds because you get to see different facets of those performances in each of the submitted episodes. Mm -hmm. Like I think, I think uh, "Love, Comma Boat" is a is a better uh, 
showcase for Tracy Ellis Ross than Kid Life Crisis, which is the episode that she submitted, uh, is, at least in terms of comedy. Like, she is a lot funnier in the Anthony Anderson submitted episode, and he's kind of a lot funnier in the episode that she submitted, which is uh, when the Johnsons go on vacation uh, to Mexico and, you know, try to have their couple's vacation while the, the kids are running around and getting sick and juniors trying to meet up with a girl at all these different locations. Uh, and it is it is very much one of those, like, Bo is holding it all together types of episodes. But if, you know, if if you've watched the full season, if you've watched both of these episodes, you get a fuller picture uh, of that performance. You know, you want to talk about just, like, purely comedic stuff. I feel like Issa deserves it just based on that face plant that she takes at the beginning of Loki Happy. You get me with any physical comedy, so I agree. Holy cow, what what a physical commitment to that. And then also like I'm I'm kind of upset that that episode didn't get nominated for yeah. writing. That is such a, a good mm. script and such like a perfect contained piece of television storytelling uh that that sort of date, not date that uh, she and uh, Lawrence go on in that episode uh, is just, it's, it's, it's great, great watching. Uh, but, you know, like, I feel like Catherine O'Hara just towers over such, a, even if it's such a crowded field, I feel like this is Catherine O'Hara's award to lose. That, that performance is so just so whole and so complete and all of those things that Patrick was was saying about it, just like to put that on, to be that persona, like, and, and for it to be more than the wigs and the outrageous wardrobe. I mean, if anybody's going to do it, it's going to be Catherine O'Hara who has been so committed to bringing real human life to these larger than life characters for her entire career. So, you know, I don't know if this, winds up being a kind of lifetime achievement type Emmy for her. But, you know, Moira, Moira, more than anything, I also feel like just kind of pulled people to that show. You know, she's the, she's the character who's the easiest to, uh, to reference, to meme, to kind of take out of the context of the show and then draw people in be like, who, who is this, this fascinating bewigged creature that I'm seeing on the internet. I need to know more. I must watch Shit's Creek. Now I am talking like her. <laughs> yeah. Um, do, you, do you agree, disagree that that's where the momentum is, Jeanette? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's going to be impossible to deny Moira Rose uh, and Catherine O'Hara in that category. Um, we'll get to this when we talk about comedies. I don't think this was the best season of Shit's Creek, which is which is kind of why I've uh, recused myself for most of the conversation around it. Um, but I mean, the- but you know, as a super fan, as a super, just I mean, we can div- dig into that just for a quick second. As a super fan, I don't necessarily disagree with you. Um, so that's yeah. uh, you know, I, I don't think uh, you know I, we can think it's going to go a certain way and not personally, well, <laughs> as, just, you, as you mentioned. Yeah, I, I also just when yeah, I, I'm inclined to just kind of like if something's already got supporters. <laughs> I don't worry too much about it. Um, and I kind of figured you guys had uh, the roses covered. <laughs> yes, it's it's the year of the roses. Um, uh, so we are going to end things with comedy series. Uh, but Danette, I know we're going to talk about a category that uh, we're glad exists, but didn't get a ton of love. Why don't you walk us through what our next step is? Yeah, uh, the Variety Sketch Series nominees are A Black Lady Sketch Show, 
Drunk History, and Saturday Night Live. And no, I did not leave anybody off. <laughs> that is the end of that list. Um, and something we were, you know, all kind of talking about uh, before we sat down for this uh, is that, you know, there's the sense that there's a wasted opportunity here um, because, you uh, you know, I mean, it's not like drama and comedy where it's like, you know, you're going to get eight nominees no matter what. And, you know, this is a relatively new category. Um, but, you know, uh, Netflix's Astronomy Club, which they did, they regretfully did not move forward with the second season on, um, that that could have easily been uh, nominated in this category and I know, Eric, uh, you had some thoughts on how this ended up being such a narrow field. Yeah, they're just, I don't think there were enough shows to make it the, the wider, wilder field that it has been in the past. Uh, you know, it is still an award that has been dominated for most of its existence by Saturday Night Live. It's kind of the, the same predicament that the reality competition series category has been in where you kind of there, there's early stages maybe uh there are more contenders the first two years that the variety sketch award existed uh, inside amy schumer won and then key and peel and then it's just been snl ever since uh but in other years you have stuff like documentary now like at home with amy sedaris uh, this show, or I, I think you should leave. I don't think was nominated last year, but you know, I think if the internet was, uh, in charge of the television Academy, it would have won, uh, not only this award, <laughs> but, uh, possibly every award, uh, uh, in the ceremony, but we will have to, wasn't... we will have to agree to disagree there, but I understand. <laughs> Well, look, Patrick, some of us want a great steering wheel that doesn't fly out the window while you're driving. And, you know, some of us don't. It's uh, it's it's just one of those things. Uh, Are you dabbing right now, Eric? <laughs> oh, uh, absolutely. Here in my tiny recording closet, there is definitely room to do a dab. But yeah, it just like there. I think this was this is maybe one of the areas where the weirdness of 2020 really disrupted the the variety of the variety that could be nominated that you know i think you should leave was going to go into production mm. uh in march and maybe maybe would have been ready in time for eligibility but there just wasn't that much that was out there and so uh so you've got these kind of you know it's not paltry offerings because you know drunk history went out uh on a really good note i think and the first season of a black lady sketch show was really good and really funny and contained uh hilarious bits like the basic ball uh and the 227 reboot sketch mm. uh but you know they're also now going up against SNL having kind of gone uh into the unprecedented uh mode of producing a couple of episodes from home and i think that that's that's one area maybe where current events uh will influence where the award goes and for once saturday night live uh deserves it for doing something kind of novel yeah i i, I agree with you guys that uh snl is probably the front runner here because i like that that's what i'm hearing um and correct me if i'm wrong um but it has been 
ages since I wanted to watch that live. And, you know, I just, I find it just very hard to um, give them credit for, you know, kind of trying something new when they just seem so averse to it. Um, and I mean, like, yeah, the, the weekly format, the live format allows them to kind of weigh in on things. Um, I never think it's done especially well. Uh, whereas with something like a black lady sketch show, that show is, you know, and I hate doing this to, uh, people of color who, you know, star in a show and who create a show and, you know, like talk about how it's inherently political, but it is because, you know, this is the first time that a show, uh, that is, you know, a, a sketch comedy show like this exists, you know, one made by black women, written by black women, directed uh, Dime Davis is the first Black woman nominated for Outstanding Direction, uh, or excuse me, for Outstanding Directing uh, in a sketch comedy series. I mean, there's there's so much, for me, like, it, it it's just so, there's so much more innovation and exciting things happening. And even though, it, you know, it was a very contained season, it uh, premiered uh, about a year ago now, right? So, you know, there, there's also that concern that it might not be at the forefront of the voters' minds, but I think in terms of shows that are, you know, just organically political, that are just naturally groundbreaking, I think a Black Lady sketch show has, fits those labels much uh, more readily than something like Saturday Night Live. That's totally fair. And and I agree with you uh, 100%. I, I, I kind of, that's that's kind of what I'm, what I'm rooting for at this point. Uh, and I did have a chance to talk with uh, a Black Lady sketch show creator, Robin Thede, about what makes her show, um, you know, an outlier. You know, what, what makes it an exception in this field and also just the wider TV industry. Um, and that starts with who writes the sketches and, who, you know, who like who is on her staff and who is on her cast and crew. Uh, and she went into that in detail. Gone are the days where I think any showrunner can make an excuse to not have any women or people of color on their staffs. And that doesn't make any sense to me. And um, I, I just feel like every show is richer for a diverse set of perspectives. Um, and, you know, as somebody who has been the only person, the only black person in a room or the only woman in a room. Um, you know, I know how shitty that feels and I know that you can't do your best work in an environment where you have to explain your existence before you can explain your pitch. Yeah. So, you know, I think, sure, I feel a responsibility because I want to provide a space where, um, you know, all those things are possible, but I also want to make a show with a very specific point of view. And so it behooves me to have those women in the room. So that's not, it's not like I'm doing some sort of great service. I'm making a black lady sketch show. Black ladies need to write it. Like, that's just kind of, like, inherent. But I think that I'm also working on other projects where I have um, rooms that are not as homogenous. And um, I will do that on every show that I make is that I will always strive to represent the normal American experience when I walk down the street. And I'm from Iowa, so it's not like, you know, people are like, oh, that's a coastal thing. It's like, no, I'm from Iowa where there were black people, there were brown people, there were Asian people, there were white people. Like where I grew up was um, in the heart of the Midwest, but there were still people of all types. So 
Um, I just think we have to be more clear about that. And it doesn't matter the subject matter of the show. You need to be able to, I mean, look, a black lady sketch show is going to have black lady writers. Mm. Like you mentioned earlier, like if there's a Latinx show, it needs to have Latinx writers. Like that doesn't make any sense. Um, but shows that are period pieces or just kind of about slice of life or typical American images, which we default to think of as white, there's no reason why those rooms need to be all white or all male. I think that um, it's really, really important that we represent the world, the world that we're creating. Um, and I just think it's 2020. Like, people need to be ashamed of themselves if they're not seeking out people of color and Black people and women and LGBTQ folks in their staffs, not just in their writers' rooms, but in their crews and in their cast in a really meaningful, representative way and not in a token sort of way. And if you want to read more about how the second season is coming together and whether or not a Black Lady Scott show is going to work its prescient magic, uh, you know, they predicted quarantine with their premiere. Uh, I asked if they would write a utopia for the second season premiere. Um, and you can check that out uh, at avclub.com. Shameless plug number two. <laughs> <laughs> and now we come to, uh, like, I guess the main event of this particular episode, uh, the uh, the Outstanding uh, Comedy Series category. Uh, and the nominees are, I'm pretending to open up my envelope, <laughs> uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm, Dead to Me, The Good Place, Insecure, The Kaminsky Method, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Schitt's Creek, and What We Do in the Shadows. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, we, we, we've been talking about how, you know, some of these categories are more exciting than others. Um, we know that uh, comedy and drama this year each have eight nominees, regardless of, you know, anything else. Um, do you guys, what do you guys think in terms of, how, you know, that new guideline? Does, you know, did, did it allow for some shows that might not have otherwise made the cut uh, to get in there? Um, was it just an excuse to allow them to let the Kaminsky method in again? What are you guys thinking? I mean, I don't know if it was specifically for Kaminsky method, but I do think that it's good that, you know, we, we kind of where I landed at the end of our discussion during our previous episode is is that, you know, more is better. Like, let's 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 if we thought stuff was worth honoring and, and saying was good, like, let's put it on the list. I would you know, I think it would be really cool you know, I guess a few years down the line, it'd be rude to do it right after the show, but to know which of these benefited from that, because, you know, it could be something super surprising and, and, you know, it could be a situation where Curb was that, was that one that everyone, it was barely on the list or even, even, you know, what we do in the shadows or any of these could have been something that got left off. Uh, So, you know, I I think we're for better or worse, underestimating the Kaminsky method uh, fandom size. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, I feel like Curb getting on this list and not being any in any of the other comedy awards like yeah. does kind of feel a little bit like some people got to the end of their ballot and they were like, "Uh, I got to I got to get something in here." Oh, Curb was sure. on this year. Uh, let's uh let's let's give uh, let's give a vote to Curb. But, you know, uh I I feel like it also probably opened up the room for 
what we do in the shadows and in Secure, yeah. uh, you know, both being nominated for the first time in this particular award. So uh, it it seems at the very least like it is a successful experiment this first time around. Uh, whether or not those shows have a shot at the award is, is another question, but um, that remains to be seen. Fortunately, those are shows that, you know, have another shot after this year. Uh, we can't say the same of The Good Place or of Schitt's Creek, uh, which do kind of feel like maybe they'll get the uh, the valedictorian treatment on their way out the door, uh, especially with Schitt's Creek and especially with all of those factors that we've been talking about throughout this episode, uh, just in terms of the way that it had sort of the accelerated experience that Breaking Bad had in its later seasons of so many people, such a a critical mass of people catching up on the older seasons of that show on Netflix uh, and kind of boosting its profile through that, uh, that, you know, it really does much, much as much like I said with Catherine O'Hara, it just seems like this is Schitt's Creek's Emmy to lose. Yeah, it's interesting because they both, I think any other year we'd be saying the front runner is definitely one or the other just because it's ending uh, or it ended. Uh, but with both of them there, I, it, it kind of throws things for a loop. I could see possibly the like, I'm going to reward this show because it's ending splitting there and we could end up with a surprise. Uh, but I think, you know, to Curb's detriment, um, you know, the more things you're nominated for, the more episodes that are sent out to voters, the more, you know, you were mentioning this with Blackish, Eric. Uh, you know, the more content that people get to ingest if they hadn't caught the series beforehand. So uh, I, I, I do think that that's where you end up getting uh, kind of the bump from all your other nominations. Uh, it can really help just because people have seen more of it. Well, I think what we're kind of leaving out in the discussion around Curb is that, you know, there's the potential there for some kind of like lifetime recognition because this is the 20th anniversary of the show's premiere. Right? Like, which is insane. <laughs> which is, you know, wild, you know, 10 seasons over 20 years, um, you know, and there's something to be said for how I think the ninth season was uh, a little more structurally sound, right? I, 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 I just feel like the, you know, the fatwa and then the musical, you know, I, I, I think it had, it just had more shape. Um, this, the 10th season, uh, definitely had its moments. Um, I'd have to go back. Like, I, I think overall I graded the ninth season higher. Um, but it's somebody I'm surprised didn't get uh, a guest actor nom in, ca- in comedy is John Hamm for, uh, basically playing Larry David in front of Larry David, which was <laughs> for me, some of the best comedy of the year. Um, but, you know, I, I, I do think that though they weren't able to do like your typical for your consideration type campaigning, you know, uh, and maybe they didn't get quite as many episodes for Curb. Um, I think the fact that, you know, it's the 20th anniversary, there were all those reports, uh, about how, you know, HBO is ready to make more Curb whenever Larry David wants to make it. I mean, it's still, it's still got uh, considerable, uh, weight, I think, in this race. Um, I don't, I'm not necessarily pulling for it. Um, My, you know, my my vote would go to uh, Insecure, which again, I think just had 
a fantastic fourth season or what we do in the shadows because here's the thing i really want like a werewolf version of this show and i feel like if if it gets uh outstanding comedy that i think you know i mean we're getting four different we're we're getting something like three sequels from power right (laughs) and there were all those game of thrones spinoffs uh, planned. I want a what we do in the shadows universe. I, I love it, and let's make it happen. That's my new. That's my new goal for you, Jeanette, is just to continue to find ways for you to push for that to to be in existence. Um, so, so we don't. You're rooting for, but where do you think the most buzz is right now? I, I mean, I think you guys are spot on about the good place in Shit's Creek. It isn't, you know, like it's it's the legacy. It's you know they. I, th- those are both very heartwarming finales, you know, and like, even if they only watched one episode, uh, hopefully it's not the only episodes they've seen on the shows, but you know, of the, of that, of the final seasons, you know, the, those finale episodes are high notes to go out on. Um, so yeah, The Good Place and Schitt's Creek, I think are our front runners. Yeah, I would agree. If I had to edge one out, I think, I think, you know, for the reasons we mentioned earlier, it's shits. I don't know. What about you? What about you? Oh, I think it's definitely shits. I I think that it, it it's so it's such it's such a rare phenomenon in television for a show to grow the way that Shits Creek grew uh, as it as it went on and to, you know, continue to pull more people in. Uh, and I, I really think it has that it has that momentum behind it, and I I do feel like it's it's the kind of show that people want to celebrate right now, uh, and so I I would not be surprised if we hear that hilariously off color title again and again and again on television. Which if that one Dan Levy interview on uh, the on uh, Colbert's Late Show. Uh, is to be believed. Every time they say Shit's Creek on broadcast television, they're going to have to put the words on the screen uh, so as not to uh, incur any FCC fines. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, the the closed captioning person is going to be working overtime. I I agree. <laughs> um, well, thank you all for uh, for indulging in our conversation uh, about these comedy categories. Uh, as you can tell, we're we're super passionate and and have our favorites, but also want to give a little bit of industry insight. And we'll continue doing that uh, next episode. We are tackling the drama categories. Uh, so if you've got some favorites there, you'll definitely want to tune in. And even if not, please tune in. Um, remember to. Uh, uh, rate and comment and subscribe. Uh, it really does mean a lot to us to hear from you guys, your feedback on um, what you think of these episodes and if you agree or disagree with us. Um, but for the time being, we will we will leave you to catch up on some drama uh, uh, watching um, in preparation for next week's episode. Um, again, this has been uh, Patrick Gomez, Danette Chavez, and Eric Adams. And uh, we thank you guys for watching. Uh, I don't want to Safe for everybody. You guys get to say bye, too. (laughs) Bye. Bye. This week's episode of Push the Envelope was hosted by Danette Chavez, Eric Adams, and me, Patrick Gomez. It was produced by Iris Lynn and Carl Blomberg and edited and mixed by Zach Goldsboro. 